Welcome to Quantum Magazine's Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week on the podcast, a major advance in complexity theory reveals a deep connection between the classes of problems that computers can and can't possibly do. Then stick around or skip ahead for our second segment. Mathematician Terence Tao finds a magical answer to an 80-year-old puzzle. First, a new map traces the limits of computation by John Pavlis. At first glance, the big news coming out of this summer's conference on the theory of computing appeared to be something of a letdown. For more than 40 years, researchers had been trying to find a better way to compare two arbitrary strings of characters, such as the long strings of chemical letters within DNA molecules. The most widely used algorithm is slow, and not all that clever. It proceeds step by step down the two lists comparing values at each step. If a better method to calculate this edit distance could be found, researchers would be able to quickly compare full genomes or large datasets, and computer scientists would have a powerful new tool with which they could attempt to solve additional problems in the field. Yet, in a paper presented at the ACM Symposium on Theory of Computing, two researchers from MIT put forth a mathematical proof that the current best algorithm was optimal. In other words, that finding a more efficient way to compute edit distance was mathematically impossible. The Boston Globe celebrated the hometown researcher's achievement with a headline that read, For 40 years, computer scientists looked for a solution that doesn't exist. But researchers aren't quite ready to record the time of death. One significant loophole remains. The impossibility result is only true if another famously unproven statement called the Strong Exponential Time Hypothesis, or SETH, is also true. Most computational complexity researchers assume that this is the case, including Piotr Induk and Arturs Bochkurs of MIT, who published the edit distance finding. But SETH's validity is still an open question. This makes the article about the edit distance problem seem like a mathematical version of the legendary report of Mark Twain's death greatly exaggerated. The media's confusion about edit distance reflects a murkiness in the depths of complexity theory itself, where mathematicians and computer scientists attempt to map out what is and is not feasible, to compute as though they were deep-sea explorers charting the bottom of an ocean trench. This algorithmic terrain is just as vast, and poorly understood as the real seafloor, said Russell Impiazzo, a complexity theorist who first formulated the exponential time hypothesis with Ramamohan Paturi in 1999. The analogy is a good one, he said. The oceans are where computational hardness is. What we're attempting to do is use finer tools to measure the depth of the ocean in different places. According to Ryan Williams, a computational complexity theorist at Stanford University, an imprecise understanding of theoretical concepts, like Seth, may have real-world consequences. If a funding agency read that Boston Globe headline and took it to heart, then they don't see any reason why they'd ever fund work on edit distance again, he said. To me, that's a little dangerous. Williams rejects the conclusion that a better edit distance algorithm is impossible, since he happens to believe that Seth is false. 
My stance on Seth is a little controversial, he admits, but there isn't a consensus. It is a hypothesis, and I don't believe it's true. Seth is more than a mere loophole in the Etta distance problem. It embodies a number of deep connections that tie together the hardest problems in computation. The ambiguity over its truth or falsity also reveals the basic practices of theoretical computer science, in which math and logic often marshal strong evidence, rather than proof of how algorithms behave at a fundamental level. Whether by assuming Seth's validity or, in Williams' case, trying to refute it, complexity theorists are using this arcane hypothesis to explore two different versions of our universe. One, in which precise answers to tough problems stay forever buried like needles within a vast computational haystack. And one, in which it may be possible to speed up the search for knowledge ever so slightly. Computational complexity theory is the study of problems. Specifically, it attempts to classify how hard they are, that is, how efficiently a solution can be computed under realistic conditions. Seth is a hardness assumption about one of the central problems in theoretical computer science, Boolean satisfiability, which is abbreviated as SAT. On its face, SAT seems simple. If you have a formula containing variables that can be set as true or false, rather than as number values, is it possible to set those variables in such a way that the formula outputs true? Translating SAT into plain language, though, reveals its metamathematical thorniness. Essentially, it asks if a generic problem, as modeled by a logical formula, is solvable at all. As far as computer scientists know, the only general-purpose method to find the correct answer to a SAT problem is to try all possible settings of the variables one by one. The amount of time that this exhaustive or brute-force approach takes depends on how many variables there are in the formula. As the number of variables increases, the time it takes to search through all the possibilities increases exponentially. To complexity theorists and algorithm designers, this is bad, or, technically speaking, hard. Seth takes the situation from bad to worse. It implies that finding a better general-purpose algorithm for SAT, even one that only improves on brute force searching by a small amount, is impossible. The computational boundaries of SAT are important because SAT is mathematically equivalent to thousands of other problems related to search and optimization. If it were possible to find one efficient general-purpose algorithm for any of these so-called NP-complete problems, all the rest of them would be instantly unlocked too. This relationship between NP-complete problems is central to the P versus NP conjecture, the most famous unsolved problem in computer science which seeks to define the limits of computation in mathematical terms. The informal version? If P equals NP, we could quickly compute the true answer to almost any question we wanted, as long as we knew how to describe what we wanted to find and could easily recognize it once we saw it, much like a finished jigsaw puzzle. The vast majority of computer scientists believe that P does not equal NP. The P versus NP problem also helps draw an informal line between tractable, or easy, and intractable, or hard, computational procedures. Seth addresses an open question about the hardness of NP-complete problems under worst-case conditions. 
What happens as the number of variables in a SAT formula gets larger and larger? Seth's answer is given in razor-sharp terms. You shall never do better than exhaustive search. According to Scott Aronson, a computational complexity expert at MIT, it's like P not equal to NP on turbochargers. Paradoxically, it's Seth's sharpness about what cannot be done that makes it so useful to complexity researchers. By assuming that certain problems are computationally intractable under precise constraints, researchers can make airtight inferences about the properties of other problems, even ones that look unrelated at first. This technique, combined with another called reduction, which can translate one question into the mathematical language of another, is a powerful way for complexity theorists to examine the features of problems. According to Impiazzo, Seth's precision compared to that of other hardness conjectures, such as P not equal to NP, is a bit like the difference between a scalpel and a club. We're trying to use Seth to form more delicate connections between problems, he said. Seth speaks directly about the hardness of NP-complete problems, but some surprising reductions have connected it to important problems in the complexity class P, the territory of so-called easy or efficiently solvable problems. One such P-class problem is edit distance, which computes the lowest number of operations, or edits, required to transform one sequence of symbols into another. For instance, the edit distance between book and back is 2, because one can be turned into the other with two edits. Swap the first O for an A, and the second O for a C. Induk and Bochkurs were able to prove a connection between the complexity of edit distance and that of KSAT, a version of SAT that researchers often use in reductions. KSAT is the canonical NP-complete problem, Aronson said, which meant that Inda could use Seth and its pessimistic assumptions about KSAT's hardness to make inferences about the hardness of the edit-distance problem. The result was striking. Because edit-distance, while theoretically an easy problem in the complexity class P, would take perhaps 1,000 years to run when applied to real-world tasks, like comparing genomes, where the number of symbols is in the billions as opposed to book and back. Discovering a more efficient algorithm for edit distance would have major implications for bioinformatics, which currently relies on approximations and shortcuts to deal with edit distance. But if Seth is true, which Induk and Bochkurs proof assumes, then there is no hope of ever finding a substantially better algorithm. The keyword, of course, is if. Induk readily concedes that their result is not an unconditional impossibility proof, which is the holy grail of theoretical computer science, he said. Unfortunately, we are very, very far from proving anything like that. As a result, we do the next best thing. Induk also wryly admits that he was on the receiving end of several tweets regarding the Globe's overstatement of his and Bochker's achievement. A more accurate way of phrasing it would be that our result is strong evidence that the edit-distance problem doesn't have a more efficient algorithm than the one we already have. But people might vary in their interpretation of that evidence. Ryan Williams certainly interprets it differently. It's a remarkable connection they made, but I have a different interpretation, he said. He flips the problem around. If I want to refute Seth, I just have to solve edit-distance faster. 
and not even by a margin that would make a practical dent in how genomes get sequenced. If Williams, or anyone else, can prove the existence of an edit-distance algorithm that runs even moderately faster than normal, Seth is history. And while Williams is one of the only experts trying to refute Seth, it's not a heretical position to take. I think it's entirely possible, Aronson said. Williams is making progress. His latest research refutes another hardness assumption closely related to Seth, and he's preparing work for publication. If refuting Seth is scaling Everest, this latest result is like arriving at base camp. Even though falsifying Seth could be the result of the decade, in Aronson's words, to hear Williams tell it, Seth's truth or falsity is not the point. It's almost like the truth value isn't so relevant to me while I'm working, he said. What he means is that the scalpel of Seth is double-edged. Most researchers like to prove results by assuming that Seth is true, but Williams gets more leverage by assuming it is false. For me, it seems to be a good working hypothesis, he said. As long as I believe it's false, I seem to be able to make lots of progress. Williams' attempts at disproving Seth have borne considerable fruit. For example, in October, he will present a new algorithm for solving the all-pairs-shortest-paths problem, a classic optimization task taught in every undergraduate computer science curriculum, he said. His efforts have improved on computational strategies that hadn't significantly changed since the 1960s. Another abortive approach led Williams to derive a breakthrough proof in a related domain of computer science, called circuit complexity. Lance Fortnow, a complexity theorist and chairman of Georgia Tech's School of Computer Science, called Williams' proof the best progress in circuit lower bounds in nearly a quarter century. In addition to these peripheral benefits, attacking Seth head-on helps researchers like Williams make progress in one of the central tasks of theoretical computer science, mapping the territory. Just as we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the depths of our own oceans, algorithms are all around us. And yet, they seem to defy researchers' efforts to understand their properties. In general, I think we underestimate the power of algorithms and overestimate our own ability to find them, Williams said. Whether Seth is true or false, what matters is the ability to use it as a tool to map what Williams calls the topography of computational complexity. Induk agrees. While he didn't prove that at a distance is impossible to solve more efficiently, he did prove that this theoretically tractable problem is fundamentally connected to the intrinsic hardness of NP-complete problems. The work is like discovering a mysterious isthmus connecting two landmasses that had previously been thought to be oceans apart. Why does this strange connection exist? What does it tell us about the contours of the mathematical coastline that defines hard problems? P versus NP and Seth are ultimately asking about the same thing, just quantifying it differently, Aronson said. We want to know how much better can we do than blindly searching for the answers to these very hard computational problems. Is there a quicker, cleverer way to mathematical truth or not? How close can we get? The difference between solving the mysteries of Seth and those of P versus NP Aronson adds, may be significant in degree, but not in kind. 
what would be the implications of discovering one extraterrestrial civilization versus a thousand, he mused. One finding is more staggering than the other, but they're both monumental. Second, A Magical Answer to an 80-Year-Old Puzzle by Erica Clareich The mathematician Terence Tao of UCLA has presented a solution to an 80-Year-Old number theory problem posed by the legendary Hungarian mathematician Paul Erdos. Erdos was famous for the thousands of puzzles he came up with, many of which have led to surprisingly deep mathematical discoveries. This particular problem, which came to be known as the Erdos discrepancy problem, was one of his favorites, said Ben Green, a mathematician at Oxford. He mentioned it many times over the years, particularly toward the end of his life. A simplified version of the problem goes like this. Imagine that you are imprisoned in a tunnel that opens out onto a precipice two paces to your left and a pit of vipers two paces to your right. To torment you, your evil captor forces you to take a series of steps to the left and right. You need to devise a series that will allow you to avoid the hazards. If you take a step to the right, for example, you'll want your second step to be to the left, to avoid falling off the cliff. You might try alternating right and left steps, but here's the catch. You have to list your planned steps ahead of time, and your captor might have you take every second step on your list, starting at the second step, or every third step, starting at the third, or some other skip-counting sequence. Is there a list of steps that will keep you alive, no matter what sequence your captor chooses? In this brain teaser devised by the mathematics popularizer James Grime, you can plan a list of 11 steps that protects you from death. But if you try to add a 12th step, you are doomed. Your captor will inevitably be able to find some skip-counting sequence that will plunge you over the cliff or into the viper pit. Around 1932, Erdos asked, in essence, what if the precipice and pit of vipers are three paces away instead of two? What if they are n paces away? Can you escape death for an infinite number of steps? The answer, Erdos conjectured, was no. No matter how far away the precipice and viper pit are, you can't elude them forever. But for more than 80 years, mathematicians made no progress on proving Erdos discrepancy conjecture, so named because the distance from the center of the tunnel is known as the discrepancy. Everyone in the subject has whetted their teeth on this and failed, said Andrew Granville, a number theorist at the University of Montreal and University College London. It's one of those problems that nobody has really written a sensible paper about, because no one had a clever idea. Even the seemingly simple scenario, in which the pit and the precipice are just three paces away, involves an enormous number of possible choices. This version of the problem was finally solved last year by Boris Koniv and Alexei Lesitsa of the University of Liverpool in England, who showed, via a computer calculation whose output is comparable in size with all of Wikipedia, that it is possible to write down 1,160 safe steps, but no more. Their proof, however, did not offer a foothold on the more general problem. 
Now, in a preprint posted online on September 17th, Tao, a winner of the Fields Medal, Mathematics' Highest Honor, has shown that no matter how far away the Viper Pit and Precipice are, there is always a maximum number of steps you can safely list. To solve the problem, Tao measured the entropy of mathematical objects called multiplicative functions or sequences, which lie at the heart of not just the Erdős discrepancy problem, but also some of the deepest problems in number theory, such as understanding the distribution of prime numbers. This novel synthesis of number theory and entropy, a concept that originated in coding theory, will certainly open up new avenues of research, Green predicted. Until now, the Erdős discrepancy problem has been an example of the most ridiculous things we have felt we didn't understand about multiplicative functions, Granville said. It should be an immediate observation, but somehow it had to take vast amounts of deep ideas and cleverness to get there. Tao's solution, he said, is a wonderful breakthrough. In late 2009, Timothy Gowers, a mathematician at Cambridge who jump-started the massive online mathematical collaborations known as Polymath Projects, was casting about for a good topic for the next such project. In a series of blog posts, he described several possible projects, including the Erdős discrepancy problem, and asked readers to weigh in. The post on the discrepancy problem quickly attracted nearly 150 comments, and on January 6, 2010, Gowers wrote what he called an emergency post, saying that this problem was clearly the people's choice. Like Erdos himself, the project cast the problem as a question about sequences of plus ones and minus ones, not rights and lefts. Over the course of the project, Tao figured out that it is essentially sufficient to solve the discrepancy problem for multiplicative sequences, ones in which the n times mth entry is equal to the nth entry times the mth entry. So, for example, the sixth entry equals the second entry times the third entry. It makes sense that multiplicative sequences could offer high prospects for survival. In a multiplicative sequence, each skip-counting sequence of plus ones and minus ones is either identical to or the mirror image of the original sequence as a whole. For instance, the sequence that consists of every third entry is simply the original sequence times the third entry in the sequence, which is either plus one or minus one. So, if you found a survivable list of steps for the main sequence, it will automatically give you a survivable list of steps for every skip-counting sequence your captor might choose. Multiplicative sequences are related to deep structures in number theory. One example is the famous Liouville function, which, when written as a sequence, has a plus one or minus one in the nth spot, depending on whether n has an even or odd number of prime factors and which gives mathematicians a way to study the number of primes below a given number. Multiplicative sequences have been intensively studied, but many basic questions about them have stubbornly resisted attempts to answer them. One such question, the Polymath Project eventually concluded, was the Erdős discrepancy problem. By 2012, the Polymath Project petered out, Tao said. But the problem somehow seemed more approachable after the polymath project, he said. Before, the problem had been like a giant wrecking ball that you had to pick up, but it was completely smooth, he said, using an analogy he attributes to Gowers. After polymath, the problem had handles, he said, so you could at least try to pick it up now. 
If you found a crane, you could hook it up. In January, a pair of mathematicians, Kaisa Matumaki of the University of Turku in Finland and Maxim Radziwell of Rutgers University, took the first step toward building that crane, although it wasn't immediately clear that they had done so. They came up with a way to understand the correlations between near neighbors in a multiplicative sequence, an achievement that had long been considered beyond reach. Tau started working with Matamaki and Radziwell on a raft of potential applications of their method to problems in number theory. On September 6th, Tau wrote a blog post about some of this work pertaining to the Liaville function, and he mentioned that the problem reminded him of a Sudoku puzzle. A few days later, a polymath participant named Uwe Stowinski commented that the Erdos discrepancy problem also had a Sudoku-like flavor. Could Matamaki and Radziwell's approach, he asked, be applied to that problem as well? I replied saying, no, I don't think so, Tao said. He was convinced, as in fact proved to be the case, that every sequence eventually leads to death in the Erdosh puzzle. Matamaki and Radziwell's approach seemed as if it might be useful for constructing sequences that allow you to survive for a while, but not for the reverse problem of showing that the sequence must eventually fail. As Tao gave the question more thought, however, he realized that his knee-jerk response was wrong. He could, in fact, prove the Erdos conjecture, if he could only control a certain complicated sum. I tried seriously to tackle this head-on, now that I knew that it would solve the discrepancy problem, Tao said. And one afternoon, as he waited for his son to get out of a piano lesson, the answer came to him. He could use an argument like a magician's choice where the magician offers someone in the audience two options, and it seems as if the audience has control, but the magician has a trick planned for whichever option you pick. Tao's trick involves breaking up a candidate's sequence into chunks and then examining the sequence chunk by chunk to see whether you can survive your captor. When you encounter a new chunk, one of two things must happen, Tao showed. Either the captor can kill you, or the sequence's entropy, a measure of how random a sequence is, will drop by a definite increment. Entropy can never drop below zero, so if you continue on from chunk to chunk, you must eventually hit a chunk for which the only possibility is that your captor can kill you. Tao solved the problem in the space of a month, which is an amazing testament to his strength, Granville said. Once he gets his teeth into something, he can't let it go. Tao, who was 10 when he first met Erdosh at a mathematics event, is excited about the power of the magician's trick approach, he said. I hope it can be used to prove many other things. You're listening to Quantum Magazine's Science Podcast, with music by Poddington Bear. I'm Leah Alfonso. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.